The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the doors were locked, where the disciples were, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Whose sins you forgive are forgiven them, and whose sins you retain are retained. The Gospel of the Lord. All right, so here we are. We are celebrating Pentecost. We are rejoicing because the Spirit is alive in us. Amen? Amen. All right, you did pretty good. That's nice. That's nice. Yes, and you think about, like, what is Pentecost, right? Like, what, like, at the root of it, like, what is it? It's the Holy Spirit coming and breathing life into us, breathing life into the disciples. It's fascinating because Pentecost is, has a similar kind of setup as Easter Vigil. At the Easter Vigil Mass, we know that there are all these readings prior to uh, the New Testament, prior to the Gospel. And actually, Pentecost Vigil can do the same. There can be up to four readings that we hear prior to the New Testament and the Gospel. We only did one last night. I think everyone was thankful for that. But maybe in the future, you never know. But the readings are radically different. Last night, the first reading was from Genesis. And it was actually the story of the Tower of Babel. How these, this group of men, right? Men as a society were trying to come together to build a tower to heaven, to, to meet God. And God, seeing that, you know, sees within them their pride, their arrogance. And that's where he then scatters them. He gives them different languages so they can't understand each other. Well, now, in Acts, the first reading of today, we hear the exact opposite. They've come together, and he breathes the Spirit into them so they can all understand one another. There can be this reunification. Last night's gospel was an early part of John's gospel, and Jesus just reminded them, like, if, if you come to me, you'll have this living water, this, this breath of life, but yet the Spirit hasn't come yet because I'm still here. The reminder that the Spirit is who Jesus sends as the advocate, the aid, the help. And so the gospel tonight, right, we hear that there's, or this morning I should say, the gospel this morning, we hear how the, they are to receive the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit does for them. It allows them to forgive sins, to retain sins, but he breathes this life into them. The psalm was the same for both days, which is great because the psalm is that send out or send down your spirit, Lord. Renew the face of the earth. What does the spirit do? It renews us. It rejuvenates us. It causes us to be alive. And so that's kind of like the three-point idea that, that we're alive when the spirit is with us, that the spirit causes us to then work, and then that working moves us to do new and great things. Now the, 
The key difference here is that second reading, Corinthians, where it actually highlights that there are spiritual gifts, that we come and we are part of the same spirit, but we have different services, we have different workings, we have different gifts, and there's as many gifts as there are people. So Pentecost offers us specific graces and specific gifts to be alive, to work, and to move. When we do this, we offer, we receive these gifts. We, we can do so through daily affirmations. We can allow our eyes to be opened up. Uh, we can see, we can become vessels then of the Holy Spirit. So maybe a good question to ask is, where else do we see Pentecost occurring? Where else is Pentecost alive and happening? And one example I think of is often in the ordination mass or any mass that has a large group of priests gathered together because, but particularly the ordination mass. The reason for this is because during the Eucharistic prayer, and if you've been in the cathedral ever for a large mass like this, it's really cool because the priests are all kind of in this, this oval or this U-shape behind bishop. And during the Eucharistic prayer, we extend our hands uh, offering the same prayer that he is, because that's what's happening. The Holy Spirit's descending down, transforming forever those gifts of bread and wine into the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And the priest praying these Eucharistic prayers, there's this unification, there's this unity, there's this um, jointness. Now, the other really cool part about an ordination mass, well, last week we had the ordination of two men for our diocese to be the transitional diaconate, which is a great gift. This coming weekend, we have the ordination of seven men to the priesthood. Now, when I was ordained, we had a class of five, and we thought we were top dogs because we were like the biggest class in, in 50 years. Well, in the last three years, there was two classes of seven, so they blew us out of the water. But, but that's such an amazing gift that, that they've responded to this call, that they've, they've gone through the seminary formation, and now they're ordained to the priesthood, to Jesus Christ. And there's a part in the ordination mass, it's one of the essential elements, where Bishop lays hands on them. He places his hands on their head. But then as a presbyterate, all the priests, we join in that. And so we go through and we lay hands on every man. And it shows the, the unification of our priesthood. Last year, uh, there's a really beautiful picture taken. There's three men ordained. Father Brian Eisenbarger, Father Mark Hellinger, and Father Lee Allen Fort Fortin. And this particular picture had... The three of them kneeling, receiving our prayers, and then the three of us with hands on them. But it is cool who, who was lined up with who. So for Father Mark Hellinger, Father Stephen Felicia was, was laying hands on him. Father Mark is from St. Elizabeth Ann Seton, and Father Stephen was the parochial vicar at St. Elizabeth Ann Seton. Father Brian Eisenbarger, I was laying hands on him. We both went to college together, and he ended up becoming the parochial vicar at St. Vincent's, where I left. And then Father Lee Allen had Father Paolo. They were both part of the Franciscan community in Fort Wayne before that, that changed. And just like that little moment was like so awesome, right? Just like that little unification of the Holy Spirit, like, ha I got you. I thought it was cool, but moving on. So where else do we see Pentecost? We see it there. We see it also in the Liturgy of the Hours. Liturgy of the Hours is something that uh, is, is really the prayer of the church. It's something that priests, deacons, religious all promise to pray, and anyone can pray it. It's, again, anyone's prayer, but it's a prayer that's always being done in union because right now it's, it's 9.30-ish, and so morning prayer is occurring, but someone's saying morning prayer. Maybe it's 5.30 somewhere, 
and they're praying evening prayer. Maybe it's the next day and they're doing office. There's this continuation of prayer of the church always occurring. That's part of what Pentecost is, this unity. And then lastly, maybe most beautifully, we see Pentecost just in our own masses that we go to. How as a community, we recite prayers together. We uh, come before the Lord acknowledging our sinfulness, asking for his mercy. We praise in glory to what he has done. We, we sing and chant and do all these pieces together because we're alive. Because he's working, he's moving. Now, with Pentecost, something for us to really consider in this is what are the specific graces God is giving to me? What are the specific graces God is bestowing upon me. Why this is so important is because the church is made up of people. People are gifts in and of themselves, but they possess gifts, gifts that need to be given and shared with and for others. Now they mention this in Corinthians, that there are these many different gifts. They don't really get into that. That's in other pieces of scripture. But I just want to highlight the distinction of gifts and charisms. Because there's gifts of the Holy Spirit, of course, but there's also charisms, things that we are known for, called to, uh, kind of like a vocation, but not quite. And so here's an example. The Franciscan sisters in Mishawaka are known as the Franciscan sisters of perpetual adoration. That's their full title, meaning their charism, their thing that they do is perpetual adoration, 24 hours a day. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, or 366 on a leap year. They are always before the blessed sacraments. He is never alone in their chapel. That's one charism they have. They, another one is they, they often care for the poor, the sick, and the lowly. And so many hospitals, at least that are, are around us, have been started by the Franciscan sisters. You can think of charisms in the context of a parish, a church, right? And so some churches are known for their St. Vincent de Paul Society. Some are known for their music ministry. Some are known for adult ministry. Some are known for uh, formation of some kind. And you think about oftentimes their charism is associated with their patron saint. So we at St. Bernard's, having St. Bernard, what's our charism? Well, Bernard went out on mission often. He preached the gospel, and so maybe a charism of our parish is one of evangelization, one of mission to go out and to share. But then lastly, so we can see it in religious communities, we can see it in parishes, everyone has charisms. Everyone has gifts. Maybe a charism is hospitality. Maybe a charism is teaching. Maybe a charism is evangelization or ministry. Uh, there's, There's so many. Well, there's a program out there called the Called and Gifted Workshop. Maybe you've heard of it, maybe not. It's something I'm thinking about bringing here because what it does is it opens us to the reality of discovering what our charisms could possibly be. And that's, a, that's something I've been praying a lot about is how do we, as a parish, become alive, work, and then move through the Holy Spirit? And it's hard to do that if we don't know what our gifts are, if we don't know what those charisms are. It it can feel like we're just, you know, walking around in circles trying to figure things out. But I truly believe that Pentecost, literally today, is alive, but also there's a new Pentecost coming. That the Holy Spirit is looking to revive us, to awaken us, to 
make us go out and do the mission that we've been called to do if we are receptive to this, if we're open to those graces. That requires a certain surrender from us. It requires a certain um, docility then to the Spirit. Because this is the other reality. We've already all received it. By baptism, as Christians, we have received the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's alive in us. Awesome. Through confirmation, we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is constantly at work. And so I need your help because I know St. Bernard's is meant to be this light in, in the vastness of darkness in the world. And by being here, you are part of that light. There may be, so what we're going to be doing over the summer is discerning and praying about what are the missions, ministries, graces, charisms that we have, and how do we give them away? How do we give them back? Maybe there are ministries here that exist that you're like, yeah, I can be a part of that. That's something I can do. That's a charism I have. Maybe there's a ministry you feel called to that doesn't exist. Great. I want to hear about it. Come and tell me. I need to know that. Maybe there's stuff that we haven't even considered because we don't even know the gifts that we have available. But that's why we have to do this, this called and gifted workshop. And so these are things that we should be praying about. Lord, Holy Spirit, what gifts, charisms have you given me to share with others? Because what we see is in that, in that reading of Genesis, when, when man's arrogance gets the best of him, they think, oh, I can figure out who God is. That's when God says, actually, no, that you need some humility. But in Acts, recognizing that their mission is to go out and to proclaim the gospel, he needs them to have the gifts to share that. The same thing like with even the gospel today, that receive the Holy Spirit, that the Lord is alive in us. That aliveness... (laughs) causes us to go and do works, to do things. And when we do things, we actually move and change the world. There's no gift or charism that's too big or too small. There's no individual who has too little or or not enough. Everyone has something. And so even if it's like, maybe my, my gift is just to help people. Great. Own that. Like, let that be like who you are. But at the end of the day, we have to be open to the reality that God is moving us to do something. The church no longer has time or energy or anything to just come in, check a box, and leave. The church needs active, faith-filled people who are willing to go back out on mission. Now, here's my caveat to the called and gifted workshop. Father Dan did this at St. Vincent's, and we know that's a very large parish. His goal is to get every person to do it. They have 10,000 people. They got like 700. We have like maybe 250 people here. I want everyone to do it because I want to be better than them. I'm not kidding. I'm a little kidding, but not really. But like if we can all identify what our gifts are, Imagine what we can do. Imagine it's like, wow, yeah. Because this is the thing. I think sometimes when we look at ministry and stuff in the church, it's like, man, I'm signing up for that for a life. <laughs> and that can be daunting. <laughs> but what if there were 30 lectors 
If we had 30 people willing to proclaim the word of God, you might proclaim the word once a month. If we had 50 people willing to take communion to the poor and the homebound, we might be doing that every few weeks, or we might be reaching everyone we need to weekly. Maybe we recognize just a need to be hospitable, right? And so when we have new families come in, that we greet them, we welcome them. Uh, We're excited about receiving them. The thing is, when we identify these gifts and we all do it, we recognize that many hands make light work. So our prayer, beginning here at Pentecost, moving into the summer season, is to really be open to identifying what those gifts may be. In particular, I highlight this to our graduates. You thought I forgot about you, but I didn't. I see you. You're going on to something different. There's many people moving through transitions of life right now, but there are gifts that you possess that the world needs. Do you know what those gifts are? Have you been able to identify them, and are you using them to give them away? All of us, through faith, have to recognize that we are gift, that we possess gift, and that gift is meant to be shared. So that's our our mission for the season, for the summer season. Identify, asking the Lord what those gifts are, bringing those to prayer, bringing those to the community. And like I said, if if there's things that you're thinking about, things that you've got that you're like, we should do this, you got to tell me. I want to hear about them. I need your help. Because we cannot do this. This is not a, a single person show. This is many. So may the Holy Spirit descend upon us, remain with us, allowing us to be alive, working and moving so that we can receive the gifts he's called us to give away.